0: Welcome to a new season of Slimehouse, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Nelson.
1: I'm Jasper.
0: I'm Jared. And I'm Max. And today we've gathered a bunch of animals who can talk in 1998's Dr. Doolittle.
2: As a boy, John Doolittle
3: had a special gift.
2: Why do dogs sniff each other? That's just kind of our way of shaking hands.
0: But not everyone... John, this is your new principal.
1: Nice to meet you, John. ...could appreciate it.
2: Nice to meet you. John,
3: I command you to come out of this, boy! 30
2: years later, the gift is back. Now what? All right, so Dr. Doolittle tells the story of John Doolittle, a successful human doctor who, after a fender bender, finds that he has regained his childhood ability to talk to animals, much to the disbelief of his family and business partners.
3: So this movie was directed by Betty Thomas, and with this, I should say, this is our first episode dedicated to a movie directed by a woman, and we will continue this trend next week, but we're glad to have a first on this show and she directed some other slimy movies such as Alvin and the Chipmunks The Squeakquel so uh, shared duties with Tim Hill on that series and also she did the Brady Bunch movie Dr. Doodle is based on a series of stories by Hugh Lofting who is considered problematic by today's standards and his works are considered to have sort of racist undertones the this film the first one Dr. Doolittle 98, as I call it, was written by Larry Levin and Nat Maudlin. They wrote The Preacher's Wife and the animated 2006 Slimer Open Season. It was shot by Russell Boyd, who is known for collaborating with Peter Weir, and he shot some other comedic movies around this time, such as Liar Liar, and the music was scored by Richard Gibbs, who is known as the keyboardist for Wingo Boingo, and the third member of that band that has now scored Slam House movies on this podcast after Danny Elfman and Steve Bartek. Uh, he's also scored uh, the majority of Betty Thomas' films. Has also scored a lot of classic Slamhouse movies such as Bingo and the 94 Clifford, not to be confused with the Clifford we covered on our last episode. And also he has his own podcast called Invisible Arts. talking about his experiences in working in the music industry and he has guests that we wish we could get on the show such as elfman and tim curry
1: so this cast is pretty well stacked but in ways you may not think it's headlined by eddie murphy who follows the nutty professor which came out two years prior and i think between these two movies but especially this one He was kind of catapulted into being a real family film star after a very successful 80s, just being a general comedy star. Um, His family, his wife and two daughters, are played by Kristen Wilson, raven Simone, and Kyla Pratt. Uh, Kyla Pratt would actually take the reins as the uh, Dr. Doolittle in the many straight-to-video sequels to this movie, there's some other popular character actors in the cast Peter Boyle, Oliver Platt, Jeffrey Tambor, who play fellow doctors, businessmen, vets. And there's also a strangely uncredited role from Paul Giamatti as a psychologist. Um, but the voice cast is super super stacked the late norm mcdonald is lucky the dog chris rock is a guinea pig albert brooks is a depressed circus tiger and the list goes on ellen degeneres jenna elfman gilbert godfrey paul rubens gary shanling john luguizamo julie Kavner, and jonathan mickey and that's just to name a few um and then we also have to give a shout out to crystal the monkey who is Slimehouse royalty george of the jungle night at the museum Garfield, Zookeeper, Shaggy Dog, and even some other bigger hits: The Hangover, American Pie, We Bought a Zoo, just to name a few. So, shout out Crystal the Monkey. Hopefully, we get to have her on the show at one point.
2: Yeah, dream, dream guest, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: yeah, this was a huge hit back in 1998. I will say this is actually the first PG-13 movie I ever saw in theaters, which is kind of a fun milestone for me. Same. I don't remember too much about it though, except that it uh, was Eddie Murphy talking to animals. So, uh, did you guys? Have Any kind of big memories with this movie at all?
2: Uh, I know I've seen it at some point or another, and I like watching it this time, I realized like I had zero memory of seeing this movie, so it's not one that really made an impression on me, but I definitely had seen it at some point in the past.
3: I also saw this in theaters, and uh, what I remembered most about this movie was some of the filming locations because I spent my first like 10 years living in the Bay Area and would visit San Francisco a lot, so the scene where they have to talk the tiger out of jumping from Croy Tower in San Fran was like, I remember we went to go visit the Croy Tower afterwards because of this movie because <laughs> we lived in the just a Bay Bridge away. So Croy Tower is my favorite look place in San Francisco, I think. Everyone who has never been to San Francisco, that's where I take them because it has such a cool view. Yeah, so it's like nostalgic for me because it brings me back to like when I used to live in that area. And whenever I visit San Fran now, it's just so swanky and not the same. I also saw this in theaters
0: and the memory that i have most is that we were late and i think it may be the first movie i can remember being late to so we walked in when this woman was getting a shot in the butt for some crab (laughs) and i mostly just remember being so confused because my mom had told me that this was a movie about an animal doctor but this was a human doctor on screen and i was like what's going on here um so it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, I, I was actually just talking about this with my pal Ryan. Uh, being late to movies really throws me off sometimes, and I think this was maybe the first experience I had with that. Because all I really remembered after that was, like, that the dog called him a bonehead, and I think that's it, honestly. Like, those were my two memories. The the woman with the crab allergy, and then the dog calling him a bonehead. And uh, so so rewatching this, it was pretty much it felt like a new time and you know we are i was pretty young it was not my first pg 13 but it was an early one for sure so it was good to check it out again
1: that crab lady was very fascinating to me and maybe i'm reading into it a little bit but having a character aggravate their shellfish allergies in order to get a butt shot from a doctor like intentionally it's a very very strange motivation to me yeah it's a maybe very i'm weirder. reading into that but that felt like that was the joke that is mm-hmm. the joke yeah definitely.
2: yeah it, yeah it's just it's a very just weird like sort of like force feeling like gag in the movie it's like yeah mm-hmm.
0: i would say this is like right in peak slimehouse. it's not quite you know the shrek level but it's definitely like the way in which movies are being made and it was a remake of a 1967 movie, Dr. Doolittle, which was wildly different. We did our due diligence and we watched that movie as well. So we'll bring that up more, but um, that was a musical, big budget, very different and, and set in um, old English 19th century, whereas, uh, which is how the original stories were set. But now with the 98 one, they modernized it. They brought it to San Francisco. They made it Eddie Murphy as the doctor. And so they gave it kind of a, a more 90s contemporary spin. And two successful results at the time.
3: Well, that's the thing. Because, like, I, I was a big fan of this movie as a kid. So my parents rented me the original Dr. Doolittle, or it was on TV at some point. And I felt very confused by that movie because it's nothing like this movie at all. <laughs> like, seriously, it has talking animals, and that's it. It's a musical, it's a period piece, the 67 version i've brought this meme up a couple times on the show but like when you t- you ask your mom if we can get taco bell and then she says we have taco bell at home and it's, and it's lame so it was like this docker Doodle 67 to me is like the ultimate example of that i i also kind of remember renting it and it was in
0: two videos and i don't think we made it more than like 10 minutes in so i had never seen the old
1: one Yeah, this was definitely a a grandparents' watch for me. I know my grandparents were kind of big fans of it, along with a lot of those, like, 60s musicals, um, which, as a kid, I never really, like, appreciated. But now I kind of have a soft spot for them, including this 67 version of Dr. Dolittle, which is not good by any means. It sucks as a musical. The music is really bad. Uh, It's not a very interesting movie whatsoever. And it's a notorious flop, too, and very troubled production. So it's interesting that they saw this movie and said, oh, let's remake Dr. Doolittle, you know, and, and turn it into something new and fresh. And then yet it becomes a huge hit. And then 25 years later with Robert Downey Jr., they make another Doolittle movie that is also has a very troubled production and it's a big flop again so it all comes full circle
2: yeah it's interesting that both of like those do littles like the 67 Doolittle and the robert A. jr one are like these like swashbuckling very high fantasy sort of like stories and they're the ones that like flop and then the one that does really well is the eddie murphy dr doodle which is like a pretty like normal middle of the road like comedy as far as like the fantasy element and like he can talk to animals and that's like as like as, as crazy as it gets, but the '67 and Robert Knight Jr. ones are like very high fantasy. It's like Kim Go, I mean, I assume that's what the books are like because I think it's called like yeah. the Voyages of Doctor Doolittle. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, those were so like. But yeah, I'd never, I'd never seen this movie before, and because both of my parents were like very scared of the the '67 Doctor Doolittle as a kid, so like I was never like. So my parents were always like, "Oh, that terrifying, awful Doctor Doolittle movie," and I, all it ever was to me was like a movie that was like weirdly nominated for best picture but one thing i didn't realize was like the year that this movie came out i assumed this movie was way older than it was and i just can't believe like this type of movie it's crazy was like nominated the same year as like the graduate and bonnie and clyde and like when those movies feel like decades attached from like i feel like 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 like, it's a very old-timey sort of movie i feel like the 67 doolittle in a lot of ways like it's just crazy yeah like the same year as the graduate there was also Do- dr doolittle
0: <laughs> yeah and that way it feels very seminal it's like this is the the end of one era of hollywood the 60s musical era of like sound of music my fair lady um and the beginning of like new hollywood as we know it if you're looking for some entertainment the imdb trivia for the 67 doolittle is a wrong <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's crazy like, uh rex harrison the lead was like a terror on set and they had Thousands of animals and you know, all kinds of hijinks in real life. So if I ever get the budget, I will make a slime house version of the making of <laughs> Doolittle. That'd
2: be great. Uh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, that'd be I'd good. Watch. I'd watch. Yeah. you have never seen anything like it in your life. Enter the wonderful world of Dr. Doolittle. Filled with adventure. Thrills enchantment, romance, and music.
1: What I think is interesting is in comparing these to 67 verse 1998 is that there's not a lot of shared ground at all. Um, and in fact, with the 98 Doolittle, there's almost zero shared ground with the source novels or source stories, which is very common in this era we see, you know, bringing these kind of more classic style remakes as max was saying but bringing them into kind of the modern suburban or just contemporary lifestyle we'd see this a lot in movies like as we mentioned the nutty professor or later on movies like cheaper by the dozen there's a you know a video Some of you might have seen the recent kind of press around the genre, Kinder Camp, which kind of talks about this in relationship with the Brady Bunch movie and and other movies of that ilk, Josie and the Pussycats. And this happens a lot in Slimehouse, too. You know, the first movie we ever did, Flubber, was a remake of The Absent-Minded Professor. And these movies were hits, you know, Nutty Professor Flubber, Dr. Doolittle, they were all like within the top 10 of each of their respective years. And so I think this just kicked off the trend of remaking these old 50s and 60s family films and bringing them into this kind of new millennium.
2: Yeah, it feels like Eddie Murphy in particular was drawn to these sorts of movies around this time, which is sort of fascinating because like we said, he was in Nutty Professor like, shortly before this, which is obviously, like, a remake of the Jerry Lewis movie, then he did this, and then he was in I Spy by the same director a few years later, which is um, also an adaptation of a 60s TV show. It's just, and I just feel like Eddie Murphy, and even, like, I feel like a lot of Eddie Murphy's, even movies like Norbit or something a little bit later feel, even though they're, like, have the raunchiness, sort of, of, like, current comedy... They sort of have the feeling. I feel like the vibe of sort of like '60s comedies, particularly like Jerry Lewis, and like like which obviously Nutty Professor ties that together. But like, I feel like Eddie Murphy in particular seemed like at this time he had an interest, particularly in sort of like '60s comedies and remaking them because I feel like it's odd that he did three in such Mm -hmm. a short period of time. You know.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny how this era there was an emphasis on kind of contemporary settings for these movies because I feel like then when you get Doolittle with Downey Jr. they go back to kind of a traditional way but something about the new millennium and that era it was all about like let's make it feel current and fresh and all that and even the 98 Doolittle doesn't have a lot of like They don't like play to the kids lingo or anything like that, you know, but they, but it takes place in a city and their cell phones, you know, it's, it feels very like of the moment. And I was thinking about two things when I was watching it. One, it reminded me a lot of Adam Sandler vehicles where it's just kind of like a goofy dad gets put in a weird situation and what's he going to do about it? You know, like bedtime stories or it's like more of that type of comedy, which are a little more like budget friendly, but you know, just mostly centered around protagonist and then the other thing that can kind of segue us is I've noticed this era there's a big excitement around voice cast and the potential of humor built around voice acting there's some cool tech they did with making the animals actually look like they were talking which i won't claim i know the details on but i think there was a lot is, of puppet it, it, i think it, it, was jim, a henson, puppet jim henson yeah, company uh-huh. they, they worked on this movie that's right so there's some jim henson but they also did some stuff where they would uh frame by frame combine animal faces to make them look like they were talking certain words so we're much further along than the infamous homeward bound where the animals are just <laughs> voices are just put on top of the animals mm. without any effort but i was reminded of a movie called what women want where the humor is mel gibson can hear what women want in their head naturally and if you watch it it's just all the humor is audio basically like it's him walking around and he's seeing women and hearing their voices and all of that and that's pretty much how this movie felt to me in this one where like the humor of Doolittle is like he hears the birds talking at the restaurant and so it distracts him and like nobody else can hear it. And and and, and another difference too that's key is that in the 67 Doolittle, he learns how to talk to animals. Like he reads books and he like speaks the language and all that. One of the ways it's slimified and 90s-ified and whatever-ified is that it's more of like a situational comedy where suddenly overnight he can talk to animals and they can talk to him and that's a little more like a hijinks based comedy
1: on that voiceover note i think as a kid what made dr dolittle and kind of similar movies really appealing to me as a kid was ordinary things like your pet or your car i'm thinking another movie that kind of I'm thinking of as inspector gadget where there's these ordinary things that you see every day that are now extraordinary in a weird way. They can talk, they can do funny things. And that is all with the advent of a little bit more realistic CGI that can coalesce with real life imagery a little bit better because prior cgi was used to kind of like build worlds i think a little bit more and now it's like you can use it in more minimal ways to create these really impressive and funny situations so uh, talking animals with talking mouths was always so like it was fascinating i think as a kid to just see that you know possibility beyond like as you're saying homeward bound where it's just like (laughs) the voice over a non talking mouth or another piece of media i think about a lot is mr ed which you know was a popular show back in the 50s and 60s where they actually like recorded a horse's mouth moving it's really cool they used peanut butter and they
0: would have the horse like lick its lips in a certain way and then just like match it to the way a
2: voice sounded
3: and that's in the movie isn't it like there's a scene where they're watching mr ed it's I, it's either the first one oh, or that's the second right. one yeah they're mr
2: yeah. ed's like on tv at some point in this one yeah yeah and they mentioned peanut butter yeah sort of on that like voice acting note something i was thinking about while watching this is i feel like there's sort of a whole like sub-genre of slime we've covered at least one where it's just like you get a bunch of animals together cgi like animals that talk and then you get like a bunch of famous people to voice them so you can bill all those people and it's just like you the probably is easier and cheaper and this feels like it's maybe the first of that but I feel like it hadn't really gone into overdrive yet the way we talk about with like like I think like Racing Stripes which we covered is it's a good example where you have people like Dustin Hoffman like huge stars coming in to do these voices or Charlotte's Web I always think Oprah Winfrey voices like a goose that's like a small role in the movie and that was like all over the advertising but like this it's not really like a who's who of like a list hollywood it's more just like a lot of comedians who like a varying levels of popularity most of them just pop in for one little line or so it like it feels like chris rock is the only one that really feels like his kid and norm mcdonald who like are the only ones that really feel like but even those i don't feel like at this point were stars on the level of like oprah winfrey is a goose so it's like i feel this kind (laughs) of this feels this feels very instrumental i feel like to like that type of Slimehouse movie with like the all-star lineup of animal voices but it feels like a more quaint version of that where you're actually trying to get like funny voices that fit the character and not as much just like the biggest stars in the world like, Norm Macdonald and Chris
1: Rock aren't getting themselves character posters just yet. Yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah. yeah.
2: Not, with Norm
0: Macdonald as Lucky the Dog. Yeah, contrast that to the 2020 Doolittle where it's like Rami Malek. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect bear. example. Yeah, yeah, John
2: Cena. No, Rami Malek's a gorilla. Isn't and, he? and the art,
0: They don't even have, like, recognizable voices. Um, and on that note, it's sort of like a contemporary of, like, the kind of Robin Williams genie effect where, like, suddenly there was like value in that because I think it's funny that Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres are both in this movie and they would later make Finding Nemo. Oh, wow. And so it feels kind of like, oh yeah this is a time when like they were just trying to realize the potential of voice casting from a marketing perspective and from like a creative perspective.
1: And I think just the idea of just like talking animals as like a marketable movie. I mean, really this feels like the first talking animal movie you have movies like Stuart Little the year after or stuff like um Cats and Dogs a few years later but before this you know movies like Air Bud or Dunston checks in like the animals didn't really talk they were just there to do funny stuff but i think after this there was like almost like no excuse to not have the animals talk in kind of a kids movie <laughs> Because, you know, the technology was there, we've seen it before, and kids like that stuff. It's funny when a chameleon has an accent and just says silly stuff, and it, it's funny. I mean, as a kid, I thought it was funny. And, you is know, the you... chameleon a reference to the Budweiser commercials? Oh, yeah, I think so, for sure. Or is that in Dr. Dolittle too?
2: That's in 2, I think. Yeah. That's sure that's oh, that's too. definitely a Budweiser reference, yeah. because mm-hmm. yeah, which
0: Gore Verbinski made that. Uh, made those oh, up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: like and has been slimified, like you see it referenced in other Slimehouse movies. Yeah, I
2: think that was like kind of his like breakout, Gore Verbinska, yeah, it was. Like in the, yeah, it's wild.
0: But, but, uh,
3: but, 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 uh, One movie that Doodle 98, more so than the sequel reminded me of was osmosis jones which also has chris rock as a voice actor and also live action actors famous comedians i think both of those movies are like these kind of interesting hybrids of the gross out 90s comedies that were more adult mainstream like the fairly brothers and what they were putting out and humor that could also kind of coexist in a family movie and i feel like osmosis jones is a more confident kind of mixture of those two things whereas this is kind of more it was trying to like appeal to both audiences but didn't go too hard in either direction in its humor in my opinion yeah well because
2: it's a pg-13 movie but it really doesn't feel like it like it feels like a pg movie throughout other than maybe like a few like sex jokes that are a little far for pg like it really doesn't feel like a pg-13 comedy while you're watching it I think that probably has to do with they were trying
0: to sell Eddie Murphy and I think at this point Eddie Murphy was not yet a PG star. He was more of an R-rated star so it was sort of like him easing the waters whereas 10 years later he was like only a PG yeah. star. <laughs> it's like Nutty yeah.
2: Professor is a PG-13 too and that's like a much raunchier movie than Dr. Dolittle. So yeah. Yeah. Was
1: like- I was six when this came out. And, you know, I don't think my parents batted an eye at going to take me to see Dr. Doolittle, even though it was clearly rated PG-13. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with just the history of Dr. Doolittle in general. You know, our parents grew up with it as a family movie. When you see these trailers, if you go back and watch the trailers, it kind of just feels like a family movie with a little bit of, like, innuendos in it, much like a lot of Slimehouse is. Well, I would argue this isn't really a fully slimehouse movie. You know, the conceit is very slimehouse, but I think the comedy does lean a little too adult. But I think overall it is it almost like tricked families into like <laughs> going to see this this kind of more raunchy talking animal movie. But yeah, it I agree, Jared. it it doesn't really go down one lane or the other. and i I think it's a little bit weaker of a movie for that
3: like i I was surprised revisiting this movie because it wasn't as slimy as I remembered it being. So like, like this movie in like it being like a PG-13 kind of like kids movie in a way kind of, that seems like a very slimehouse House idea on paper. But in terms of like the, tr- like what we've defined as like the most slimy gags and th- moments and tropes, I just feel like it's, it's missing like the Gross out humor, other than some scatological stuff. Whereas, we we covered Zookeeper last year, and I felt like that was actually a slimier movie because it leaned more into like scatological humor and actually seeing like the animals spit out Red Bull cans and things like that whereas this was just seems a lot more tame by comparison
2: this had like i feel like a lot of like butt jokes like an insane amount of butt jokes which felt slimy but like it didn't have like as much gross humor as mm-hmm. i feel like you can cause we've talked about how like animals are such an easy good thing to get like gross out humor and this really didn't feel like it went for it as much as i was like expecting it as far as having like poop and dog pee and all this like, <laughs> like oh, there's all these opportunities and it just feels like it doesn't it, like like Yeah, it feels like it's mostly based around, like, characters and stuff. Or, like, the joke of, like, a drunk monkey or a suicidal tiger, which is not really... Those aren't slimy jokes to me. Like, those feel like adult jokes in a way where it's, like, it's not like they're super inappropriate, but just jokes that, like, are targeted at adults when it's, like, a a slimier movie would go for much more of, like it's funny when monkeys like throw poop or whatever would be like the joke
1: one of the things i was thinking while watching this is that there's not a lot of visual humor there's not a lot of slapstick yeah. it's all very you know dialogue based humor which can be very slimehouse in theory but i think you need that visual if it is a gross out joke you need the spill you need the mess i think especially for kids animals with funny voices can be very slime house but i think in throughout the genre what really defines the slime house genre's sense of comedy is those more visual and slapstick and gross out gags that this movie just doesn't really have that's kind of what i was saying with the
0: voice thing it feels like it's more Humor is entirely built on just the voice cast being funny. And I, I think a good example of where a, a different director or a different era even would have gone more slimy is it does have a classic Slimehouse trope at the end where the bad guys get pooped on by pigeons, you know, which is yes. like yeah classic mm-hmm. Slimehouse. But it's pretty tame in comparison. It's just like a little bit of like tartar sauce looking bird poop on the guy's like chin, you know, it's like. Like, it looks like you could just wipe it off with a napkin and be done, you know? Whereas, like, I think another slime, like, I think about, like, the Airbud Golden Receiver where, like, they get drenched in fish guts, you know what I mean? Like, that to me, I feel like, is an example of where it has Slimehouse tendencies, but it doesn't lean
1: into them, it doesn't crank them the way other Slimehouse movies do. I think it's interesting because. Three years later, this movie had a sequel, Dr. Dolittle 2, which came out kind of in really the peak of the Slimehouse era. And re-watching that, you know, that one is actually rated PG. You know, it's for the kids completely. There's a few kind of like sexual innuendos there because it is about two bears trying to be mated to kind of save a forest. But beyond that a lot of the animal gags are kind of gross. There's a bear pooping and farting really loudly in a bathroom. You know, there's, there's all kinds of jokes like that. in Dr. Little two, which feels like they did the audience research and they were like, okay, this was a big hit because of the kids. Dr. Do two is going to be just for the
2: kids. Yeah. Right. I also think Dr. Do two, is sort of like in the first one, even though the animals can talk, for the most part, like other than the guinea pig every now and then, usually aren't like doing ridiculous things. Like you were saying, there's not much visual humor. The second one is very reliant on that because you have the circus bear that's like constantly like do like it just feels like it's much more based around like animals doing zany stuff and not necessarily just animals having, like, funny quips and one-liners and stuff like that. And I also think this voice cast for this one, for the second one, is way more stacked with, like, big stars of the time. Like, I think Lisa Kudrow is a voice in it. Michael Rappaport, I think, shows up. And, like, um, (laughs) I'm trying to remember Steve Zahn plays the bear, and I feel like he was a big actor. There's, like, uh, just, I feel like bigger stars who are more sort of highlighted in the movie for dr Doolittle too
3: yeah and then also in dr Doolittle, like we haven't talked much about the uh, the kids in the movie or his two daughters played by raven simone and kyla pratt but they get a lot more to do in the second one they're actually kind of like they kind of learn how to be like their dad and they play more of a role in the plot whereas in the first movie i think they're kind of seen as like they don't get as much to do in the first movie and like they're kind of just like not really central characters at all in that first movie, so I think that's another th- way in which Doctor Doolittle Two seems a little bit more like targeted towards younger audience and also a little bit slimier.
1: Yeah, I really like that point, Jared, because Doctor Doolittle One feels like very about the jokes come from Doctor Doolittle's professional life, whereas Doctor Doolittle Two is about his family life, yeah. where. The family is much more slime house genre territory, whereas the professional life like kids aren't going to think jokes about jobs and corporate mergers are very funny, but they will find humor in dads being overprotective about their daughters going on dates. Things like that, I think that really lend the second one to being a much more slimier film. Especially if those dates are a picnic catered by Burger King and KFC,
3: and and, and the uh, the boyfriend works at Domino's, so that's like three in yes. one. So, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Duel two and Zookeeper feel like a double feature because oh, yeah. like Zookeeper has a TGI Friday scene, oh, yeah. and also just like a, a big trope in Slime mouse movies that have animals is just like release uh hearing your call of the wild or releasing your inner bear that's literally the term used in both doodle 2 and zookeeper where like in wow. doodle 2 it's steve zahn's uh character he's a bear and they just like he's a he's a circus bear so he doesn't know how to be in the wild so they're the, the whole plot is hinging around him learning to be a wild bear and then in Zookeeper, it's like that except that instead of a circus bear it's a zookeeper. keeper it's not even a bear so that's also the plot of open season the animated yeah. movie <laughs> okay. which is
1: written by the same guys who wrote yeah um... oh it's like
0: <laughs> we figured them out the only plot thing come up with bears is they aren't ready for the wild i guess <laughs> <laughs>
3: john Bing animal could not have talked to you he's a lunatic hello i have to go lucky's in the bathroom right now the
1: dog is she's in the bathroom <laughs>
3: One thing I thought might uh, work in... The the, in, the opening scenes of Dr. Doolittle, the, the 98 one, the first Eddie Murphy one, I actually think are pretty slimy. Where he's talking to the dog voice by Ellen DeGeneres. He's like, he, he uh, meets a teacher and he uh, basically takes some of that kind of... Um, it's the same trope of... Uh, learning from the animals and doing things the way they would do and sometimes embarrassing yourself because of it but he basically goes and sniffs the teacher's butt because the dog told him to do that we we talked about this before but like in space jam you see like the opening scenes are from a young michael jordan's point of view and in this movie it's kind of the same idea but i kind of i agree that like a lot of the professional humor of like once he reactivates his childhood and like becomes a animal doctor halfway through the movie like the things he actually does to help most of these animals out in the first movie especially they're kind of a, like a, a one like in both Do- Do Little one and Do Little two he's like helping like a, some sort of a couple of animals who have like a marriage problem so it's more of like he's like being a marriage counselor for or couples therapy for pigeons and turtles in the second one so like it's kind of a strange and not very slimy kind of uh like the way that being a really successful animal doctor who can actually talk to animals is like sort of a childhood fantasy is what i'm getting at and i think that's really important in slime house movies to have like a childhood a child fantasy kind of angle but once you see the child fantasy play out in these movies i don't know how slimy it actually like it seems kind of not very childlike i guess
2: other than the guinea pig who's like the goofy like sidekick comic relief character most of these animals like are just kind of people that like are like 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 they just kind of act like people they're having like marriage problems there's like an alcoholic monkey and all this like but like 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 a depressed tiger it's like they have like normal adult human problems not funny animal problems for the most part and like other than the fact that they're animals that can talk they don't really act that funny and i think that's like the big thing like the first movie, I think it's like, it kind of reminds me a lot of the elevation we kind of talked about between the two Garfield movies as far as like the plots where like the first one, even though it has talking animals and stuff, it's kind of like a very, a very like straightforward sort of plot about like his co-workers like conspiring against him and they're trying to, someone's trying to buy the vet office and there's a merger. Like that's the main plot of the movie and then sort of. These animals are sort of along the way, like the characters that he's working with and running into. But then the second one, it's like them traveling to the forest to have to deal with like what's already a more heightened problem than any of the problems he deals with in the first one. It just feels like a much more like wild, fantastical scenario in the second one when the only thing fantastical about like the scenario of the first one is that and he can talk to animals. Otherwise, like there's nothing really unusual going on with like the actual bare bones plot. The bare uh. bones plot? <laughs> I think that speaks to
0: like how it does have kind of its roots in like a PG-13, like again, it reminded me a lot of What Women Want, which is not a slime house movie. You know, like it, its DNA is kind of born out of that ilk in a lot of ways. And I'm thinking about the climax of the movie is he's doing surgery on a tiger. And mind you, a lot of this might be because of limitations, but like the tiger's just sitting there and he's kind of like, oh, it hurts. Like, oh, help me. And it's just kind of a long scene of that. And then the tiger gets fixed. In the 2020 Doolittle, the climax is a dragon who has a flatulence problem. And he finally releases the gas. And, you know, it makes a huge
1: noise and a huge mess and all that. And that I think- said, in the 1998. 1998- Doctor Doolittle. He does help a couple of mice with with their their gas gas problems. (laughs) That's that may be the slimiest scene in the movie for me, because it is you know it's just a bunch of fart jokes. It's something that kids and adults can laugh at because it's just farts are universally funny, I think. And you know the rest of the jokes. You know it's like him talking to yeah. As you mentioned, it's like being a marriage counselor to pigeons. It's like kids don't think that's funny unless. The pigeons have like these goofy accents which I think there are enough animals in this movie that have like funny accents that kids will laugh at but but nothing along the lines of like say like a what's the movie that is tookie tookie George the jungle oh it is George the jungle
2: yeah yeah. um The thing about Doolittle Ninety Eight is like that.
1: It sounds like a uh, like a video game franchise, like NBA. Yeah, Doolittle ninety eight every year they drop like, a new Doolittle
2: Doolittle 98. Yeah, Grinch two thousand <laughs> and Doolittle ninety eight. <laughs> yeah. Doolittle ninety eight it's like They sprinkle in just enough, like, fart and, like, butt, especially butt jokes, I was saying. There's, like, a very strange extended gag with Norm MacDonald's dog character getting, like, a thermometer in his butt. But, like, the gag isn't that, like, he's uncomfortable getting it as much. It's, like, I mean, it is that, but, like, it's a whole thing about him, like, absorbing the thermometer, like, into his butt. Like, it enter and, like, them not being able to get it out. Which is
0: the third movie on our show that has a thermometer butt joke, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and Reese says school's out so this is definitely a trope totally yeah
2: i think i think i think thermometer butt jokes are a a classic Slimehouse gag for me it's it's a small scene but for me i feel like that was the slimiest moment in this movie it was just this whole thermometer butt gag especially with the whole ad like afterwards when he gets it taken out he like is walking funny away from it and stuff like i feel like that's where the movie feels slimiest is when they're just piling on these like butt and fart jokes which we see all the time in Slimehouse, and otherwise most of the humor like we were saying is like a little too just like grounded like sitcom-y type humor more so than it feels like slimy or even like family focused
1: i do think the kind of anti-corporate um spin on this is very slimehouse, though it feels very animals first people second like always think about the animals well-being first and then humans which feels like something that was very prevalent in kids movies in the 90s especially you know, even even less slime house movies more kind of adventure style movies like the movie Alaska or Fly Away Home you know and i think kids can relate to that cuz animals are cute animals are precious they don't it's it's a more simplified way to look at the world than like i'm bummed that the vets office won't have a corporate merger with the giant medical conglomerate you know um, so, I do think those anti corporate themes are very, very prevalent in Slimehouse. And then the second one as well, which is also a very kind of anti corporate, more envir- environmental spin on that theme, though, with kind of saving the forest, creating a sanctuary habitat for endangered species. In both Doolittle 98 and 01, I think very much abide by that kind of anti corporatism that we see a lot in Slimehouse movies.
3: And then also there's a weird thing in the first of these movies where we talk about the, all cops are bumbling and there's some stuff with the... I forget when in the first movie, but like the, there's like the scene where he's starting to rediscover his powers and he thinks he's getting pulled over by a cop and it's actually the horse that the cop is riding. And then also at the end, it's like the cops trying to enter the building where he's performing the surgery on that tiger that basically all the animals come to uh, defend the perimeter so that they can't get in. Yeah, I think that's where it's... The slime house stuff is present. It's just a
0: little more mild. Um, Something that a kind of odd parallel I thought of is the big moment in this movie is when all the animals find out that he can talk to them. And so they all descend upon his house and he's kind of overwhelmed because they're all entering his house. And it reminded me of, of all things, Shrek, where the moment where all the fairy tale things come to Shrek's house and he's not ready for like, you know, Snow White and Peter Pan and and the three little pigs to all show up. And it kind of felt like a thematic parallel to that. And, and similar place in the movie where it's like, okay, we have this crazy situation with all these animals. Now, how is he going to fix it?
1: Come on. Oh, doctor, Come doctor, on. Something. I got no pulse. Oh, John. Lisa, not now. I'm trying to save somebody here. Honey. Hey, Lisa, please. I'm hungry. It's a false alarm. A
3: false alarm.
1: There's nothing wrong with him. He just has gas.
3: Whoa, you're telling me? He just had gas. Uh,
1: I think aesthetically, this movie is not has a lot of slimehouse elements with kind of like the CGI animals and things like that. That said, I don't think a lot of the CGI on the animals is very exaggerated. Like there's not a lot of, you know, bug-eyed dogs or the the CGI is is there mostly to just show that they're talking, which to me is, you know, slimehouse kind of adjacent, but it's not exaggerated enough or elevated enough or comical, cartoony enough. To really make it specifically slime house but then the movie itself is kind of just blandly shot it's it's it feels like a sitcom or a a TV show it's there's nothing really special about how it looks it's not very colorful it doesn't really make the city of San Francisco per se look special or like a destination of any sort so in looking for slime house aesthetics Visually, I think it just kind of misses the mark, and it feels a lot more like you know the '90s high concept situational comedies that we've referenced
2: already. Yeah, I feel like it's like relatively speaking, compared to a lot of other Slimehouse movies, and even just like Slimehouse movies similar to this one, it's like pretty like slow, kind of lifeless. Like there's not that much energy to this movie. I would say uh, either visually or like plot wise, pacing wise, like anything, it's like just not super interesting and i feel like that really takes away some sliminess uh from it i just yeah i just think it's like not a not a vibrant sort of movie like we talk about slime house a lot of times having this sort of zany like manic energy and this definitely doesn't have that and i mean even comparing it to something like snow dogs which is a very slimy movie that also has a lot of scenes just in like doctor's offices which like i think that like the way it shoots doctor's offices and the way the the settings sort of appear in that movie. I think you can even see, like, in what's like kind of by definition, a clinical boring location can still feel slimier than it feels in this.
1: Yeah. There's definitely more color to the snow dogs, vocational locations, you know, Cuba Gooding jr. Has the really silly hot smile logo plastered all over the place, you know, and in Dr. Doolittle little too, I, I, I think there's a little bit more color and vibrance to that movie. It feels a little bit more artificial in that way, mostly because they, I think they filmed a lot more on sets, um, and in forests so there's just natural little bit more color so in that way I think aesthetically Dr. Dolittle 2 is a lot more slimy but yeah I like that point that, that a, a bland location can be slimified there's, there's ways to do it and this movie just does not do it at all
2: it's even like the circus in this movie i feel like doesn't even look like vibrant for a circus they somehow like <laughs> they somehow like shoot the circus to look less fun than like it, <laughs> it would be and what's like it looks like a city yeah, you're yeah. right
0: it, it feels but that's i think that's where like this movie's roots are in like uh, that's why again it feels like big daddy you're like an adam yeah, Sandler. Like, it, it's rooted a, in a different type of comedy that that is much more real and like you know hijinks ensue to a real dude, you know, as opposed to Slimified. And I think, this, so I think this just speaks to, like, where this movie is in the evolution of Slimehouse and what it was trying to do in its conceit.
3: One thing that happens in both these movies is that we go to an animal shelter and we see, like, these characters, that these, like, animals that are in the cages that have some sort of, like, ability to talk to him, and they make references to, like, adult movies, and I think sometimes we see this in our uh films we cover where it's like they're making a reference to a movie that maybe kids haven't seen but it's kind of culturally ubiquitous and like in the first movie they go to the shelter where normal mcdonald's dog is and there's like a kaiser soze reference from usual suspects and then the sequel they also go to some sort of like uh wildlife uh shelter and uh, they rip off the silence of the lambs scene with hannibal lecter when you were introduced to him in that movie, and he's like, hello, Clarice. So there's that, and also in Doolittle 2, there's the animals in the forest or some sort of weird mafia, with the beaver being like the Don Corleone, and I thought that was kind of tying into what we sometimes see with like wise guy cartoon characters in our Slimehouse movies. Yeah, I will say, I think
1: out of all of, out of both of these movies, my favorite voice performance is actually Michael Rappaport as, I think he's a weasel in uh, Dr. Doolittle 2, but he has some great, one-liners as kind of like a mafioso weasel that I actually laughed out loud at. Yeah, I
2: think that's definitely one of the sli- definitely one of the slimiest like voice acting performances between the movies, and yeah, I thought it was funny too. And
3: uh, one more trope that I think is kind of new is uh, and this is very uniquely 2001 is the early cell phones uh, and like there's a the Raven Simone character has some issues with Doctor Doolittle because he takes away her phone. You probably wouldn't see this in a movie nowadays. I just distinctly remember from Dr. Doodle 2, just like raven Simone's delivery of the line, what am I supposed to do without my cell phone? And just like, it's stuck with me over the years. And it's just like, cause it was like at the advent of like when cell phones were like kind of like a, becoming more uh, amongst consumers. So I think it just kind of ties in with that. Yeah. You notice that even too, like in the 98 do little, they have cell, the people have cell phones, but they,
0: oh, it's only for grown ups, And it's only like to coordinate, like getting to the faraway location. Like it's still a new thing. Whereas even three years later, like the teens have the cell phones now. And, and even, you know, by today's standards, it's pretty rudimentary.
1: Uh, Doctor, just guessing, but I think you might have just lost your thermometer.
0: It's going south for the winter.
1: I'd like to go in manually.
0: What's he saying? You don't want to know. So we're jumping into Slime Squares, but we're going to do something a little differently this time. Um, We're going to start with Slime Squares from 1967's Dr. Doolittle, since we've all watched it, and then we'll do the Eddie Murphy Doolittle's, so... Um, just because, you know, well, let's add another one to the, to the log and we may as well just knock out a, a proto, proto, proto slime
1: movie while we're, we're at it. So yeah, this will be the earliest movie we've given a score to, which will be kind of fun. 1967, previously 1983 with a Christmas story was our earliest, but, uh, yeah.
0: And if you like, if you like proto slime and you have recommendations, uh, leave them in the comments and then, you know, uh, we'll, we're, we're interested in doing some more proto
1: slime for sure definitely i can start off if you want unless somebody else has a has a comment on the 67 doolittle i actually thought the 67 dr doolittle was kind of slimy uh there's a scene in the courtroom where dr doolittle literally barks along with a dog who's giving a deposition and i literally went back and screen recorded that scene <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I was like oh this is like this is such early kind of sl- what what slime house would take from a lot of these like older movies that they would remake are these kind of like stupid scenes like this um there's also some like just like wacky slapstick that feels generally kind of like you know three stooges slapsticky but in a way that wouldn't feel out of place in a Slimehouse movie so i'm actually going to give this a three i think it's actually for for a 1960s movie is about as slime house as you could get so for me
2: three Oh uh, yeah i'll echo that I, was, I thought yeah i landed on a three from this one too it's just it's kind of hard to, like, watch something that, like, is so is like so clearly, like, from the 60s, which is long before, like, I feel like any vision of Slimehouse exists, so it's hard to really even watch this and, like, pick up on what's slimy, but I agree, Jasper, like, as slimy as something from 1967 can be, I think this is, like, this is the slimiest it could be, because it's just even though it feels almost like a Mary Poppins or something like that, just sort of a child fantasy musical a lot of the time, but it does just have, like, a lot of slapstick and the stuff you mentioned, some goofy stuff with animals. There's some, like, wacky animals, the big snail and the push-me-pull-you, and so it all feels very just goofy. And, yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of hard for me to really land on a slime score for something this outside of, like, the realm of Slimehouse, but I think that... For anything like this, it's as slimy as it can be. So yeah, I think a three is a fair rating for that. Wow, I'm actually genuinely
0: surprised because I thought this was had potential to be our first across-the-board 1 out of 10 Slimehouse movie, and, and that is my score. I think this is a great example of how a non-Slimehouse movie has some overlap with Slimehouse, but that doesn't make it a Slimehouse movie. Like, yes, there are animals in the movie, and there's... I think one scene that to me felt like, for a moment there, this is Slime Mouse, and it's when he first becomes a, an animal doctor, and there are all these people in the lobby tripping over porcupines and and chaos. That scene, I was like, okay, maybe we got some Slime Mouse here, but it's like three minutes out of two and a half hours, and I think that the the attitude of this movie has no slime bones in it whatsoever. And so for me, I think it's an example of like Slimehouse does cross over in weird ways, but nothing in this movie is setting out to be slimy by, you know, not that they even knew what that would mean in the 60s. But I think there are other movies from this era that, that might have actually like leaned into it more. But I think, yeah, it's much more like a Mary Poppins type humor or something like that, which again might have like... Slapstick in it, but I don't think that's enough to make it Slimehouse for me. So I'm I'm going one.
3: Okay, so like we talk about Slimehouse as being like a live action cartoon and something like Mary Poppins, where there's actually a combination of animation and live action. If Doolittle had some if Dr. Doolittle sixty seven had something like that, I'd be more kind of um entertaining of the idea that this is relevant to Slimehouse, but like like I've said, I don't think there's really much in common with the Dr. Dolittle that we're talking about, the Eddie Murphy version, it barely feels like a remake of this movie at all. I think they're just so dissimilar, and I feel like if these Dr. Dolittle movies weren't made either both the Murphy and the more recent one, if you if those movies didn't exist and you looked at this movie, because Slimehouse would probably still exist, I don't think there would be an argument that there's anything Slimehouse about it. And I think tonally it's not Slimehouse. There's, it's not, there's no thematic Slimehouse in it at all so i would give it an i
1: <laughs> an
3: incomplete <laughs> and, and it's an imaginary number so if you square root it it's a negative one so that's what i'm going to give do little
1: uh Six. you know i i think those are sound points i'll drop mine down to a two mostly because i was thinking of my nine my 98 dr little score but i i, I here's the thing i think that Looking at these like really early movies, which I think we should start looking at a little bit more movies like, you know, this 50s and 60s Disney output movies like Every Which Way But Loose, you know, the Clint Eastwood Monkey movie. Um, I think they will inevitably not have a lot of Slimehouse in them, but if we are going to do our due diligence and like put them on the map. I think that there is a place for them on that map. Whereas to me, a one is just like, this is not a Slimehouse movie. This is Goodfellas, you know, whereas we look at a movie like the 2020 Doolittle. I think I, I think we collectively had that at like a six or a seven. And that to me was not super far off. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely slimier than the original Dr. Doolittle, but in a weird way, it doesn't feel like leagues away slimier, you know, I think that there's a wholesomeness to the original that is not, you know, the brattiness and the snottiness that we see in, in kind of the, the core slime house. I think finding those really raw slime house elements lend itself to considering it to be a little bit slimier, because if we just look at these movies and say, Oh yeah, none of them are slimy. They're all going to get ones, you know, it's like, why even, you know, rate them
0: no okay let me jump in on that exact point there's this place for a 1 out of 10 i but i don't think you can see this movie and say oh it's proto slime what the this comedy and the storytelling that they're doing here is informing the next generation the way that we sort of more agree that something like christmas story or Pee Wee actually is the best example isn't necessarily Slimehouse, but it's proto slime it's it's informing what would come later I don't see anything really in Dr. Doolittle 67 that informed the genre. And, you know, other than anim- other than animals, but that's so generic. You know what I mean? That's so
2: broad. I feel like, like, I feel like I it's that- the animal humor that feels. Not that there's not animal humor before this, because, I mean, there's Mr. Ed. There's, like, plenty of, like, old silent things with, like, monkeys running around. There's dogs and the little rascals and stuff. But it's, like, I feel like, like, sort of, like, zany and i mean the set design all is kind of like very heightened in this it feels not exactly a live action cartoon but more of a live action cartoon than i feel like a lot of movies of this time and that like a lot of the creatures look really wacky and like the sets are pretty elaborate and yeah it's like i don't think it's a super slimy movie and if the movie was made today in the exact same way but like by the standard i feel like of the time and i do think that like a lot of the animal humor just sort of landed as at least like vaguely slimy to me enough to at least give it a few points. You know, it
1: felt like grandpa, it felt like grandpa slime house. If, if, if we can call that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I
1: like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think I was actually kind of hyped for this movie just because I think it's, I I do want to kind of like cross over with anything that's like Oscar related. I think it's kind of entertaining to kind of like see the Venn diagram, but I think I just was like, honestly not anything here that like is really like i don't see us ever referencing this movie as like oh remember that joke or like they established that way of doing things like even the slapstick stuff doesn't feel to me uh a template for
1: what would come later but you know i i rest my case (laughs) i mean that's interesting i i mean we don't need to discuss too much further but i i think a lot of the animal humor as max was saying felt like First time I can remember seeing a lot of that, um, or the earliest case that I can think of seeing, you know, somebody talking to animals in a movie in that style, which feels an animals having a personality that a human interacts with, um, and that to me feels like a very rudimentary slimehouse trope. But moving on to the '98 Doolittle, what do you guys think about that?
0: So I I am embarrassed to say that I have not seen Dr. Doolittle 2 since probably 2002. So I'm gonna withhold a score on that one. Um, Maybe I'll post it on the internet at some point or um, give it away as a Patreon reward or something. But uh, for Dr. Doolittle 1, I have settled on a six out of 10. And I think that that score comes from that it's, the slime house is still there i but i think it's just like it's all in very soft format um and it feels a little more yeah like has more in common with say an adam sandler comedy or just like a a goofy guy comedy a situational type thing rather than full tilt Slimehouse. but it's still there enough to kind of push over and i, I still think it's like a worthy entry into Slimehouse, but just shows that like it had a lot of room to grow in terms of how outrageous it was going to get in the years to come
3: i'll go next um the first Dr. Doodle feels like a movie that was very influential on Slimehouse without being a Slimehouse movie per se the same way we talk about a lot of proto-slime and I think like I feel like the idea of this movie as I remembered it being like this kind of like PG-13 kids movie made it seem like it had this edge to it that would make it slimier upon revisiting it but that just did not really be wasn't really the case for me and honestly, between this and Haunted Mansion, these are two Eddie Murphy movies that we've like seen that didn't really hold up as slime house movies and we didn't really get the slime we wanted out of them. So I know he has other movies that like uh, Daddy Daycare that we'll get to, but kind of starting to worry that maybe <laughs> Eddie Murphy's not the top tier slime <laughs> leading. Man. We'll get there. I love Eddie Murphy, but um, yeah. I, my score for Dr. Doolittle one is a five out of 10 and I'm giving Dr. Doolittle two a 6 out of 10 just for the scene where the bear character is having to go to the bathroom in the restaurant and that's just a whole point higher just for that scene yeah, i
2: think i uh, i can echo that like I, I, exactly i have landed on a five pretty quickly for the first dr doolittle uh i think it's just a like i've kind of said through the episode it's just there's stuff there and there's slimy stuff there but it's just sort of a a bland sort of like the humor is not particularly slimy. The animals I don't feel like are particularly heightened in a way that I feel is slimy. Their problems aren't slimy, um, and so yeah, it just I, I, yeah it just feels more just like some random comedy movie. Big Daddy I think was a good comparison than it feels like a slimehouse movie. So yeah, it's a it's a five for me and a uh, six for Doctor Doodle too. I gave Zookeeper a six. I feel like they have a lot of similarities. Um, I think that. It's, like I said, a step above Dr. little 1, but still, I would not say, like, a a premium slime film the way that... And, and yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing, Jared, about Eddie Murphy, that, like, of course, we did, we did Shrek, which, of course, classic Eddie Murphy, and that was a 10 out of 10 slime, but then... His live action roles, yeah, he hasn't really been delivering on the on the slime front. So I actually haven't seen Daddy Daycare, so let's hope let's hope that breaks the stream. We've still today. got uh, Meet Day. Not only
0: Daddy Care, but uh, imagine that. Oh. I promise you, imagine that.
2: I feel like oh, me meat and, me oh, and yeah, a thousand Yeah, thousand meet Meat Dave. Definitely feels <laughs> meet Dave I haven't seen, but that feels very <laughs> slimy. So I haven't seen Maybe anything. Eddie Murphy, yeah. Pl- Pluto Nash maybe. You know no, Pluto Nash is like little raunchy. A, it's, it's, it's most a little, notorious yeah, movie. Uh-huh. Oh.
1: Uh-huh. I've been curious about uh-huh. that.
2: But one. Yeah, 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 Eddie murphy's he's been consistently giving us these low balls when they, they could have reached so much higher so i love eddie murphy but maybe as a slime store not so much
1: well i'm gonna give Doolittle 98 to five as well for most of the reasons mentioned before it just it feels a little too close to the more 90s kind of fairly Brothers style comedies um but i'm actually gonna have dr do little two is seven um a little bit higher than most people um i think there's a lot of gross out, a lot of scatological humor in there. I took way more notes on that one than, than, than the first Doolittle, and I think the animals are just a lot more zany. You know, the plot's rooted in more of the family, but again, there is a lot of like romantic themes, things like that that just don't feel like they hit the younger demographic. So a seven for me on Doc Doolittle 2. But yeah, I'm glad to watch both of these. I think I think as as I think as Jared said, it's just these are both like important movies in the development of the genre and even going back to the 67 Doolittle, i think you know the idea of of talking to animals and humans and animals having a conversational relationship is something that's so core to um, a lot of the slime house comedy and humor and, and so many movies that we have watched and have yet to watch for the show so Glad to get these uh kick off the season with both of these movies.
0: Yeah. I have one last little tidbit, which is I remember that the merchandise and marketing for Doctor Doolittle Two was just huge. Like you could see like these like wall size posters that said like Doctor Two, you know, and things like that. And I feel like this represent even if they're not the most slimy movies on our plate, they represent an era where like Slimehouse was a dominant form of entertainment.
1: Great to kick off the season, another great season. I, I think we've got some some fine films down the road for for y'all to to hear us chat about. Uh, but until then, you guys,
2: uh, stay, stay, slimy. Slimy. stay slimy. Stay slimy. Stay slimy. <laughs> Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.